fellow graduates of Pabone Community College, I'd like to thank you for giving me the honor of being your valedictorian. Yeah. The speaker here today at graduation, uh, as I graduate with you, I think all of you know, as a 35-year-old man coming to this college, maybe seemed like a weird choice, but I did it because it was my dream to be a college graduate. And I want to tell you now, as you go into the future, to chase your dreams. Uh, my co-owner, as you know, of the Hollywood Chop Shop, Brett Mosher, he, he would normally be here today to support me, but he's off chasing his dream. He's, he's volunteering at the fire department. And, and you know what? If you want to be a fire fighter, I want you to chase that dream as well. Now, listen, it won't be easy. They may question, you know, where is Pabone Community College Southwest Campus? They may look at you. They may judge you. But it's not about college. It's about your character. Because, listen, Harvard produced a Unabomber. Temple produced Bill Cosby, for God's sakes. Have you read any of those? Oh, no, no, let me finish. Let me see. The, the articles. He, he put the... To chase your dreams, and, and please continue to listen as we review the King of Staten Island! Scott, a 24-year-old currently stunted in life, must adapt to a rapidly changing environment. As his life begins to shift around him, he finds stability in smoking weed and tattooing anything that will let him. But, thing, but the very things that anchor Scott in comfort are the things that stop him from moving forward and following his dreams. Will Scott stay focused long enough to confront his demons, or is he destined to be a burnout? Thank you for joining us this week. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. And as previously stated, we are reviewing The King of Stanton Island, which is a semi-biopic... Autobiography, autobiography, whatever you want to call it, um, of Pete Davidson's life, um, I guess early life, um, post childhood, pre, <laughs> pre uh, success. I, I don't know. I, I meant to look up where exactly the lines blur um, between how much of this is based completely on his on his life and how much of this is you know fabrication. I think the easiest thing before we jump into our initial thoughts is in in the movie he's pursuing a. A, a dream of being a tattoo artist, whereas I think that that was an easy swap out for him wanting to be a uh, a, a comedian, stand-up comedian, or an actor. Um, but outside of that, I mean, there's definitely a lot of similarities in this movie between his life and the the character Scott, um, both having their father dying. I think Pete Davidson's father died in 9-11, and Scott's father just died in a uh, a building collapse trying to save somebody yeah, hotel fire yeah hotel fire so um to me that was somewhat of an interesting thing why leave out that like the 9-11 why alter that you know that piece of it if you're gonna keep the the dad being a firefighter but um oh boy yeah i've, I've got thoughts <laughs> so before we jump too far into it um travis do you want to go ahead and give us your diagnostic what what was your what were your thoughts of the movie uh, I was pretty disappointed um, mm -hmm. because I, I know we've mentioned it in other reviews, uh, movies pulling punches. Uh, I, I can't really avoid it. I don't understand why they don't just play this a little closer to Pete Davidson's life. I, maybe they thought 9-11 was going to be too heavy of a topic, but 
at a certain point, I was just wondering then why this movie pulls so many punches and feels so inauthentic at times. I just wonder why was it made? So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm tipping my hand to say I didn't really enjoy a ton of this movie. It's funny at times. Like, I definitely laughed, mm-hmm. but it all just feels like a series of skits um, with no real narrative push to do anything. So I'm glad you kind of brought up the whole authenticity because where I do agree, there might have been some opportunities where they pulled punches and stuff like that. What I did, I appreciated and also thought was a weird decision with this is I did feel like a, most of the conversations in this movie felt authentic. They felt like a real conversation that two people would have as opposed to like it being a written script. But it, on the, the the flip side of that, I'm not sure how, if that's really good, compelling storytelling. Like, it's definitely, to me, this movie felt so much like actually being like, oh, this is a buddy. Like, I could have been in the room listening to this conversation or hearing that or like overhearing, you know, him and his mom talking or like the conversations to me, like they were the way they were written felt very organic and they, they felt felt true and authentic. But at the same time, I felt like almost to the point where it was at the the deficit of the movie as a whole where it's like yes this feels very real but at the same time to your point like the movie doesn't go anywhere you know right and when i say inauthentic i mean more from the perspective of for example the the drugstore robbery that does not need to be in this movie at all no it, it does not feel like there are no real world consequences if you This group in real life, I believe that they exist. I believe that they have these stoner conversations. I also believe that they end up actually committing serious crimes with serious consequences, whether that be one of them being killed or them killing one of the drugstore owners. Um, If you're going to put that in this movie and rapidly try to change the tone, then follow through with it, because otherwise it feels really out of place. And again, it just feels like a skit. Well, and even to that point, it felt out of place just in the structure of the movie. So at one point in the movie, his friends, like, they never really talk about what their dreams are or anything like that. But at one point, Scott's friends decide, his stoner friends decided that they've got the keys to a pharmacy. They're going to go in and steal a bunch of uh, oxy and then sell it. And that's going to give them the 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 money they need to start all of their dreams right which it never defines what the only person we know what their dream is is scott and his is it's half of a joke i guess half serious where he wants to create a tattoo parlor where you can eat called ruby tattoos days which i appreciated the pun but it also is a fucking stupid idea which they talk about multiple times in the movie but my my issue with it is the first time he's confronted with this idea is basically he says, no, this is dumb. Like he is very aware like this, like I didn't sign up for this. Like this is too far. Like we're not doing this. And then what apparently pushes him over the edge to decide to be the lookout for this crime is he overhears his mother and her boyfriend talking about how his mom is concerned that like he's got talents and all that, but like he just doesn't seem to have any direction and he's just kind of floundering. And for some reason, her her sincerity and being concerned for him and his well-being and wanting him to be successful causes him to go and rethink a good decision and turn it into a bad decision. And I'm just like, where the, like, why the fuck was that the, the course of action that took him to this place, you know? Well, I would guess if I have to get into the head of the character that, you know, him overhearing that conversation to him, he interpreted that as, yes, I need this money because having the money is all that's stopping me from 
pursuing my tattoo dreams, which obviously is, is terribly misguided, which I, I know just, can we talk about Pete Davidson and the character really quick? Did, did you like him? I'm going to say this real quick. I have never seen or heard Pete Davidson before this movie, which might sound remarkable because he was in headlines for a while dating Ariana Grande. His voice does not match his body, okay? To the point where it was distracting for the first 20 minutes of the movie where I'm like, and I don't know if it's because of how sickly skinny Pete Davidson can look. And like, they they make jokes and references about how pale he is and he looks sickly behind the eyes. But I'm like, I don't, he has this deep, like, I would almost say, like, deep, traditional Jewish comedian voice. And it just does not match his physical appearance at all. Like, to the like I said, to the point where I'm like, it almost felt like like episode one, where, like, the body doll, the body actor for Darth Maul was not the voice actor for Darth Maul. It was just, it didn't, it didn't match to me, you know? Um, well, in terms of... I, I just want, let me just say, I did not think we would get a Darth Maul reference in the King of Staten Island podcast, <laughs> so well done. Um, but to, to your point, did I like his character? No, I didn't. I thought what was weird about his character more than anything is that the movie starts off pretty heavy about mental illness. Like, um, there's the car thing, and then, like, he immediately goes into, like, there's some female friend that barely shows up in the movie. Um, they joke on her a lot about because, you know, she brings up his the tattoos about his dead dad, and then he starts boning his friend, and she asks him about, you know, did you come? And I'm like, what the fuck? That's a weird thing to ask. And then they go into the whole thing about like, oh, it's probably the antidepressants stop me and all that. I'm like, oh, wow, we're like, I think this movie is going to get into like mental illness. And I'm like, this is this is actually going to be interesting. Like, I really want to see where they go with all this. And basically, Pete Davidson's character, Scott, uses mental illness, uses his like ADD and everything basically as a card to get out of situations, which I thought was a very weird way of his character like basically confronting and dealing with the fact that he has depression and probably I think he does have ADD and like focus issues and he has uh, you know a couple other mental issues and stuff like that and basically he's self-aware enough to know that he has them but he uses them as a way to get out of trouble or to deflect out of awkward situations and I'm like I just it's really weird to me that I've never seen a character you like them use their mental illness and in, in, as as a tool you know like that it, it was weird to me well i've seen people do it in real life not in movies and mm -hmm. that's why like i guess we're inverting what we normally do where we're more talking about maybe what we don't like or at least i am but i couldn't tell initially if we were supposed to like scott or have sympathy for scott because yeah as you said he talks about the mental illness early but, but even before that, the movie starts out with him just randomly endangering the lives of a lot of other people on the freeway. So it's like if you're going to depict a character as suicidal, at least let's not do it in a way where he's going to also kill a bunch of innocent people because that's not exactly going to endear me to him in the opening shot of the movie. And then, as you said, later on, it seems like he's just using mental illness as some sort of shield against any sort of responsibility or accountability. But then I'm like, well, this is a Judd Apatow movie, so I think ultimately he's just supposed to be the likable stoner. And that doesn't gel for me and that's i couldn't get over that enough to enjoy the movie at times 
Well, it's one thing if like you're going a Pineapple Express situation where like, yes, it's the likable stoner, but that's just who they are and that's their character. And like the whole conflict of the movie is them getting into trouble and then like having a falling out and coming back together or something like that. But the whole point of this movie is like you're watching Scott try and mature. Basically, this is a case of arrested development. Like he's stuck where he's 24 years old. He has a dream, but really has no way of getting there. The ambition or, you know, the, the drive and all that. So you're, and you know, he's, he's kind of weird at fucking up these relationships and he gives every, like his mom and his sister a hard time and all that. And like, it's just, it's weird to me again, like it's hard to root for him because he constantly, and I think that he's constantly doing just stupid shit in the movie. And I think they tried to give this throwaway line at the beginning, um, again, after he kind of had sex with his friend about like, oh, you know, he just, you know, sometimes he winds up being kind of self-destructive and, and, you know, he'll just, he does these impulsive things that, you know, and stuff like that. And like, that's supposed to justify him doing things throughout the rest of the movie. It's like, well, they told us he's going to do this stuff, but I'm like, it still doesn't make a compelling character where like you give me a MacGuffin so that anytime he does something bad, I'm supposed to be sympathetic because that's just kind of where he is. Like, and I, I guess the, the best example of that is when he tattoos the kid, he tattoos the nine-year-old and like, yes. They're Igor, the friend is like, he even says, like, I regret being friends with you guys because he's like, no, don't, like, this is terrible. Like, it's illegal. Like, you can't do this. Like, you shouldn't, like, there's nothing, there's no upside to what you are about to do right now. And he does it anyway. And that kind of sets in motion, basically, Scott's major conflict through the rest of the movie is his mom, you know, finding another another man, which even... That is a weird thing because, like, he's super supportive of his mom getting out there and dating. But as soon as he finds out it's a fireman, that's when he loses his shit. Like, that's too close to home. That's his dad was a fireman. And, like, you can't you can't do that to me. And I'm like, it just, it's so, it never commits to anything. You know? The movie doesn't commit to anything. Yes, and another way to frame that or say it is there are no consequences to anything. Mm -hmm. To your point, he tattoos a fucking 10-year-old, and not only does he not go to jail, the father is just like, oh, hey, your mom's hot. It's cool. No worries. Like, that that's not the real world. Mm -hmm. I mean, no father is going to be cool with that, I would imagine. I mean, could— no. Would you be cool with that, Brett? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not going to fly, and yet there are no consequences. They fucking rob a store for fucking narcotics, which, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that carries some sort of felony penalty. And again, the movie just kind of just glosses over it and moves on to get to the next little funny bit. Mm -hmm. I, I To transition maybe to Judd Apatow, I don't know what he has to say in movies anymore. Like, I don't... I thought he got out of this phase of the stoner, you know, you know, early 20s, you know, group of people, but he seems to have gone back to it. And there's no reason for this movie to exist. It feels like Judd Apatow can't make another movie about a comedian. So instead, it's like, okay, instead of a comedian, he needs to be a tattoo artist. And his tattoos are fucking terrible, except for the ones that he has all over his body, which are clearly done by professional that's not him, which is just, I don't understand either. Well, well, even to that point, like, the whole thing is, like, the arc of the movie is supposed to be him becoming this tattoo artist, or to me, that's, like, the very superficial arc, right? He never gets better. Like, he's, all of the, at the end of the movie, basically, the the guy that was dating the, the mom 
he he basically that's causes, Bill fucking Burr. Bill Why don't Burr, you put yeah. some respect on his name, please. Okay, Bill Burr, Bill Burr, Ray, the character's name. He basically gets his mother to break up with Ray. Ray and him wind up connecting afterward when he ha- when Scott has nowhere to go and winds up staying at the firehouse. Um, and then Ray decides to let Scott just tattoo all over him. And I'm like, even at that point, like Ray has now developed more as a character than Scott has because. Even then, like, Ray's like, yes, you can do whatever you want, but, like, don't make it stupid. Don't do anything I don't like. And then clearly Scott has tattooed a bunch of shit on his back that he's not going to like. Like, one one of them is a ghost with a boner. (laughs) Like, it's just... And it's just one of those things where I'm like, so Scott clearly still has not matured. Like, his, his tattoos still suck. Like, you can't... There's... It doesn't... It wasn't even one of these things where, like, if you saw, like, towards the top, like, they're terrible and you see them progressively getting better. They are all still terrible on on Ray's back. Like, it doesn't look like he's getting any better whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. Well, it, and yeah. what I think you said that's interesting there is it feels like Bill Burr, Ray's character, grew more than Scott. And to your point, the adults in this movie feel like that's the movie that Judd Apatow knew how to make because, oh, you know, his previous pictures, what, This is 40 and... Um, Forty-year-old virgin, forty-year-old virgins. One of them, train wreck, which I never right, saw. I mean, train wreck, yeah. But like funny people, mm-hmm. and and this is forty. Those were both adult-oriented dramedies, and I feel like that's what he's making again here. But he knows that he can't just make that shit again. So it's like, let me just weld that story onto Pete Davidson's arc, which is, it's not an arc at all. No. It's, yeah, I, to, to get back to your original point, sorry, I think I kind of went down a rabbit hole there. I feel like Judd Apatow, his thing is redeemable losers. But to your point, in this movie, Scott never redeems himself. He just, he never really, to me, he never really grows. And I think the, and I was going to say in my, in my notes here, I have, I just think that there was a lazy resolution. And, and the, by that, I'm like, basically they book in the movies with, a book in the movie with, it starts off with him not wanting to be in a serious relationship with the girl and him trying to, you know, he's not stable enough and all that. He doesn't want to admit his feelings and all that. And then the very end of the book is him being supportive of her and admitting that he loves her and wants to be with her. And I'm like, oh my God, like for as, as true or authentic as I want to say some of the character interactions are and all that stuff. I'm like, what a generic, just milk toast arc, you know, like it's just... I can't imagine that's really what happened with Pete Davidson. It was just one of those things where I'm like, well, we've decided this is the time of life we're going to focus on and we have to find a way to start it and wrap it up for the audience. Because I'm like, it just, it was so lazy to me. The the way that they, they decided that that was going to be how they, they relayed the resolution to the audience. It was like, oh, I don't want to be in a serious relationship. And at the end, oh, I, I want to admit that I love you and, and we should be in a relationship. And it's like, that was that's where we went with this? Yeah, it, it again, going back to pulling punches, if, if Pete Davidson is going to go to the trouble of, of trying to be in this movie, and I don't know how much he collaborated with Judd Apatow, but again, if you're going to go to the trouble of making this movie, then make it a little more authentic. If Pete Davidson has a more interesting life than the character depicted, I know you don't have any experience with Pete Davidson, but I'd say... Most people who would watch this movie are familiar with him and his life and kind of his life lived in the tabloids. So 
if all we can see is Pete Davidson and then you give us just a milk toast character arc to your point, I, I just anytime he's on screen, he I'm looking at the other person for any sort of enjoyment and entertainment, which well, at that I that distracts me in every scene. Well, yeah, and it's it's weird. You have a a two hour movie, a two hour movie about Scott's character, and I feel like almost all of the characters around him, with with the exception of his stoner buddies, I will say probably developed his characters more than he did. I mean, the sister goes from she's always worried about Pete, to, and this is me just you know throwing this out here, like. Her whole thing, like, she's, you know, the way she's thrown out there, she's constantly worried about Pete and trying to, like, make sure that he's going to be okay and all that, and it's her finding freedom in college. Like, she's able to kind of shed that, and she's going to live her own person. Their mother is, like, she's a, a train wreck and all that. I mean, she's just trying to take care of her family, and at a certain point, she's had enough, and she realizes, like, she's got to take care of herself. And you see that at the end of the movie where she's like, I'm not dealing with immature men anymore. Like, I'm... I'm going to take care of myself. She renovates her house, kicks everybody out, all the men out of her life. Um, the girlfriend, at the end, the whole movie is her talking about how she wants to build up and make Staten Island better, so she wants to become like a public servant, and at the end of the movie, she is going to take the exams so that she can do that. Like Ray, you like they establish at some point that he's, I don't know if he's an actual deadbeat dad because they make the point of saying like, you know, Scott went to the worst person that hated Ray the most to get the worst information on him. But like Ray becomes more engaged with his family and his children and stuff like that. And it's just like it's one of those things where everyone seemed to they established something about them and they grew into it, except for Scott. Scott still again at the end of the movie. I don't think Scott is any better than he was at the beginning of it. A hundred percent. And it just it just feels weird this would be a movie I think I would enjoy more if the director wasn't Judd Apatow and the star wasn't Pete Davidson. Like if this was a little indie movie that could take more chances and, and have more consequences, there's a good movie in here. But as presented, I just, it's just a nothing burger. And there are good performances. Marissa Tomei is always excellent. Mm -hmm. uh, I've already mentioned, I love Bill Burr. Um, even his stoner friends are, are entertaining. The girlfriend's entertaining. But when the star of the movie, the person that's on screen for like 90% of it, is just not compelling, either through performance or story, and, you, and you this, just get bored. Yeah, and this is weird, but I honestly wonder, are they self-aware enough to know the movie that they made, or is it just kind of coincidence? But when Marissa Tomei, at the end of the movie, she's in there, and, and Scott, Pete Davidson's character, comes in. And he's like, I did some work. I went down to the, you know, the firehouse and, you know, I, I did all this stuff and, and now I'm ready to come home. And Marissa Tomei basically laughs and says, oh, you've you've done work. You you cleaned a toilet. You mopped for a day. And, and now you think now you think you've grown up and all that stuff and literally kicks him out of the house. I'm like, are they self-aware enough to know that that's basically the entire character? Like this movie was it, it went nowhere. Like what you showed a montage and therefore the character was supposed to have developed. I'm like. Nothing happened in this movie. Um, and I, like I said, I thought that whole scene was very kind of ironic to me because I'm like, I feel like this movie is almost summing up like at the end of the like they know what movie they made <laughs> when when they produced this. Yeah, I wanted to believe that it was subversive enough to be doing that. But ultimately, I thought about 
Judd Apatow and, you know, a frequent collab collaborator of, of his is Adam Sandler. And Adam Sandler basically is on the program of just money please (laughs) yeah just find an excuse to film a movie in hawaii bring all my friends and we'll technically make a movie Mm -hmm. and that's uh, that's kind of the laziness that i would expect from adam sandler and i'm wondering if that's just you know you are who your friends are and judd apatow doesn't fall far from that tree at this point Mm -hmm. so i mean we can continue to kind of rip this apart um, and, and just our, our kind of disappointment. No, we, should, we should probably talk about things we liked because, I mean, to me, it wasn't all bad. No, it wasn't. And like I said, it was authentic. It is. It's one of those movies where, like, like I said, it felt more like being in a friend's base, like having a conversation, like being a fly on the wall, listening to your friends talking than it did a movie. Um, and again, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or, or if you enjoy that kind of movie, like everything the interactions between the characters all felt authentic to me like at no point i was like why with the exception of when they they had scott walk the kids i'm like we've already established that he's a dumbass he tattooed ray's kid and now ray's like okay well that's all water under the bridge now i want you to walk my kids to school so i don't have to do it i'm like we've already established that scott is a fucking idiot why are we going to trust him with that responsibility now um God, that was yes, the, I forgot to bring that up. That yes. was the only moment in the movie where I'm like, this literally makes no real-world sense. Unless we are really that desperate to portray Bill Burr's character as a deadbeat father. Because I'm like, there is no fucking way you would trust Scott to take your kids to school. Knowing he is a burnout who literally tattooed a nine-year-old. Um, yeah, no, that's downright criminal on Bill Burr's part, yes. or Ray's part, to allow that to happen. Yeah. Um. I will say that did lead to my favorite scene in the entire movie. Um, and I'll ask you before I tell you mine, what do you have a favorite scene? Was there anything that stood out in your mind where you were just like, that, that you just really enjoyed? Well, I'm not going to steal your thunder because I know the exact one you're talking about. And it was also my favorite scene in the movie. Um, but I did enjoy, I mean, pretty much anytime Bill Burr was on screen, I like when he first, <laughs> When he first confronts Scott at his house and meets Marissa Tomei. <laughs> you fucking idiot. Was, yeah, that was the true voice of the viewer. And like the problem is I never turned that voice off when I'm like, because I'm basically Ray or Bill Burr watching the movie at that point where I'm just like, oh, now you're letting him fucking walk your daughter to school after he fucking did that. So that voice never left, but in that scene, it felt very authentic as a father's reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, I loved the fight uh, where he dumps him into the pool. <laughs> I tried to de-escalate made... the situation. I put him in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, uh, so I enjoyed that because, but again, even as I compliment the movie, all of these are just disconnected funny scenes. Mm-hmm. So yes. it's a good hangout movie, I think kind of to your point you it's believable you feel like you're watching you're just hanging out with friends because you can kind of drop in and out of paying attention because all these scenes don't really add up to much i also liked when the kid is warning marissa tomei that he's gonna throw up (laughs) why does he throw up on himself (laughs) it just and then to realize that she was borrowing his phone (laughs) yeah that was comedically perfect. Yeah, yeah, and, and again, to talk about the things we did, I do think the dialogue in the movie is good. I do think legit, like, it was fun to listen to the characters talk, and, like, 
I won't go so far as to say like there was a ton of like super quotable moments where like it that that's a a quote or that's going to enter my daily lexicon that I'm going to say to somebody. Um, but I will say that, you know, there were like, again, to your point, it just it felt like I, I would say set piece to set piece. It was just it was a little snippet to snippet like there was no there's nothing that actually made the story flow or anything like that. It was just sketch to sketch. Exactly. I mean, it felt like an, a very upgraded Saturday Night Live. Um, but to, to, to not tease the audience too much, my favorite scene in the entire movie, and I mean, it literally, if you want to say got you in the feels, like not I like teared up or anything, shit like that, but just like, it was like, this is, this is to me was the pinnacle of the movie. And I guess this is why I, I dislike the movies because I, I never, I felt it hit this high and then it just immediately dropped off. And this is where the movie really should have started developing into itself is, um after he starts walking the kids to school it opens into like another montage where it's him developing a relationship with the kids where he's talking you know he learns that the little girl loves to sing and it's him being very supportive of her singing and then it's like the the little boy harold who he tattooed has the superhero that he's developing and it's him trying to help the kid develop the superhero make him better and like it's got the it's got a an instrumental a string version of scar tissue from red hot chili peppers is the music in the background and it's just it's it to me is a very poetic scene and i just i really i love that scene so much it was such a like the song playing in the background it was the perfect tone and then just watching him like and that's what i guess my problem is like i thought that was going to be the moment where he realizes that there's more and that he's going to go more on or you know he's going to figure something out i honestly thought that was going to be where he realizes he wants to be an art teacher or some shit like that where he enjoys yes. like and i thought that was going to be like that that was going to be the turning point for him where he realized that he was going to do something more with his life and like that scene happens and then it just again it was a set piece because then it wasn't until later in the movie where he has to stay at the... And I was like, you know, that's when he'll start to understand Ray's a better guy. Maybe it's better for his mom. And, like, you know, Ray's got these great kids and all that. And he doesn't want to fuck that up. And, like... And then I thought, you know, he would become Uncle Scott. And then... But instead, it's not until later when he completely fucks everything up. And then he winds up having to go and live at the firehouse. And then builds a relationship with Ray. And I'm like, no, you had... Which wasn't bad. Like, I enjoyed that, too. But I'm like you had the perfect growth moment with this beautiful scene with him and the kids. And it just, because of what you did after that, it made that scene mean nothing for the rest of the movie. And that's, that's honestly, I think the biggest travesty of the movie is like, that was such, such a great scene. And it just, because of how they followed it up, it meant nothing in the overall arc of the movie. Yes. And I thought there were even breadcrumbs for it, you know, because when his sister is leaving for college, number one, he's just watching SpongeBob and doesn't even want to get up to see, you know, her off. And then number two, there's just a little throwaway line that if you, you blink, you miss it. But they sarcastically say, like, yeah, thanks for not helping at all pack anything. And then the scene you're talking about with scar tissue, I thought it was going to set him up to kind of be, if he didn't have a singular dream or a motivation to pursue, maybe he would just be a person who kind of just spreads out in his friend group and family and just kind of in, improves everybody else. Uh, he and, enables yeah, people like to pursue teacher, their dreams. Yeah. Right. Like being an art teacher would be a perfect example. He could shape the lives of kids because, I mean – to your point, he's great with the kids at every turn, and like 
to me that the natural extension of that is, okay, you can be a teacher and you can improve the lives of, you know, 90 students a year. Uh, but then it just, yeah, like you said, after that, it kind of just completely goes away and it's just back to let's have another funny skit and, you know, roll credits by the end. Yeah. So, yeah. And like I said, that was, again, and I don't know, I th- I would tell people to go watch it on YouTube. I don't know if this scene is impactful without the context before it because the movie does lead up very well to that scene. It's just, it completely loses touch after that to me it's like like i said it's that is that scene should have either been later in the movie shouldn't have been in it at all or they should have rewritten the back half of the movie that like it kind of follows more like that and that kind of becomes where he wants to go and does things and like it just yeah it seems so scatterbrained the movie yeah and i mean one last thing to and then i'll stop shitting on it is just Judd Apatow, he's almost, he's a character of himself at this point in that every complaint I have about all of his movies, no matter how much I like them, is they're always like 20 to 25 minutes too long. And he does it again here. I think the runtime on this is two hours and 17 minutes. It does not need to be that long. Mm -hmm. And if you trim stuff, naturally, the scene you're talking about is going to have more power because there's less useless fat around it mm-hmm. but judd apatow just he can't edit himself yeah i just yeah it was very very interesting i did before we jump into chop shop i did want to say just a couple other little things i wrote down i did think that the machine gun kelly and the action bronson cameos were weird like i wasn't sure <laughs> i guess those are friends of pete davidson's and that's almost like weird not to bring adam sandler back in this but i'm like i don't know if he just wanted to bring his friends into it do you know who uh, the characters i'm talking about yeah 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 so machine gun kelly winds up being the like owner of the tattoo shop that he's trying to get an apprenticeship at which might i add i don't know if they did this on purpose but i did think it was funny that they basically define the apprenticeship will be him being a bitch. So he's like, you're going to have to clean the toilets, clean up around here, clean my car, this and the other. And Pete Davidson's like, fuck that. I'm not doing this. And that's literally the exact same things he does at the firehouse. And I don't know, like the only exception between that is that he has a place to live at the firehouse. But I'm like, literally, he wants to pursue his dream as being a tattoo artist. He's given the tasks he has to do to complete it. He's like, nah, fuck that. That sounds like work. I'm not going to do it. And then literally goes and does the exact same thing at the firehouse. And even if that was intentional, I don't think that they really like they don't bring it forefront where like he realizes like, oh, this is all the stuff I needed to be doing to get myself on track. And like I could have been doing this and moving myself towards my passion of tattooing. But instead, I had to be forced into it. when My mom kicked out like that's that's another like fucking two minute scene that explains that he at least understands what happened there. But is that isn't in the movie. Um. And then Action Bronson is just the guy who gets stabbed for, you know, and that's him trying to, to help somebody out. Um, Explosions of the Sky shows up in the, I, as much as I love Explosions in the Sky, I did not think that that song fit with what was going on there. Um, so I don't know if you agree or not. Oh, 100%. It, to me, it stood out like a sore thumb, maybe only because I'm familiar with the band. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it is a phenomenal band. Love that song. But the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, this does not, it's basically, he does a ride along with the firefighters and they go into a building and they play this fantastic song. But like the song doesn't necessarily match up with, 
I would say the tone or even what's happening in the scene. It's just kind of like triumphant music. And I guess it's supposed to be him realizing how great his father was, even though his father was gone and like him being a firefighter was actually pretty honorable and stuff like that. But I'm like, it still, it didn't mesh the way that it was supposed to. I think One Headlight is a really weird song for guys to bro out to. Um, there's a scene where all the firefighters after, you know, they do the ride along, uh, they're all in a bar, they get drunk and they sing One Headlight which is by, if I'm not mistaken, Bob Dylan's son. And yeah, Jacob. another piece, the interesting thing about One Headlight, that song is about um, basically trying to make it in the entertainment industry and not having any support around you while, do, while trying to do that is what that song is about. So I'm like, I don't quite <laughs> know where they were going with the One Headlight. Um, well, that's also odd coming from Bob Dylan's kid, but okay. If you didn't have any support in the entertainment industry, I'm sure you didn't. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's him who was trying to make it without using his dad's name. Yeah, I don't know. And then the the last thing I wanted to, I did think was a nice, a nice little nod to just Pete Davidson and his life is the movie ends with him kind of looking optimistically into the into I guess New York as his maybe girlfriend now his love interest is going to take her exams. He's waiting for her. Um, but it plays Kid Cudi. So apparently Kid Cudi, um, according to Pete Davidson, that album helped him get through like a very rough time in his life where he was very suicidal. And like, he claims that that album, Kid Cudi's, what is it? Man on the moon. That album really helped him get through that spot. So I was like, okay, that's a nice nod to Pete Davidson. The source material of this to kind of like as a send off, like, you know, I'm sure that movie helped or his experiences helped him write this script in this movie and a nice nod off to again to to Pete Davidson. So those those are kind of my last minute notes here that didn't really fit into what we were talking about, but I just thought were would be interesting to bring up. Yeah, and I and I appreciate the use of of Kid Cudi there, especially the backstory. I did not know that because that is a very good album. Um, but again, that is powerful in of itself. But it's just a little skit that maybe I'd watch two minutes of and it would feel compelling, but. The movie that it's in, I'm like, okay, great. He's looking out at New York because he dreams of living in New York. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, or he's hoping Staten Island will be the next New York. Like, there's, I, I don't care that he's hopeful. I don't, I don't know what he's hopeful about. And you know, on a meta level, if it helped him in his life to write this script, good for him. But I would, if you're not ready to fully confront things and and put them out there about yourself then don't make the movie yet is my thought i guess Mm. and another central theme of this movie because i say central theme because it is brought up over and over and over again is the there's two sides to every story and like they they do a good job of like actually following through with like with ray when when scott basically says like oh he's living at the firehouse like he's such a deadbeat and like oh he's living at the firehouse because he's a fucking firefighter and basically they could have to go like do a fire in the middle of the night like it winds up not feeling as bad like and you know he's a compulsive gambler it's like it's not gambling it's day trading and it's like they they do a decent job of of trying to show that there's two sides or perspectives to everything i feel like with all of the characters around scott but scott still doesn't wind up to me like he gets to find out about like his dad was this hero, but his dad also did coke and was kind of crazy and stuff like that. But like, you never see more than one side to Scott. Like Scott to me is, I don't want to say he's one dimensional, but it's not one of those things where like, at some point we realize like, 
you know, he acts this way and the characters around him find out why he's acting this way. Aside from him just like, oh, I just want to bring awareness to it. Like, it's just, I don't know. It Scott, to me, like, again, he is the weakest part of this movie and the movie is two hours and fucking 17 minutes of him, you know? Exactly. I, I, I just wonder if it had been a different actor, how much different this movie would have been. Yep. All right. So enough of, of you know, talking about the movie. How how are we gonna chop this movie up, Travis? Let's get in some chop shop. You know, I don't know if you want me to go first. If you want to go first, how we want to lay out what we're gonna do to this movie. you're ready i'll let you lead the way all right here we go so i'm thinking i want to go in a a slightly slightly i still love the idea of him confronting his demons and having to deal with his grief um and we've talked about it multiple times about how this movie felt like just vignettes you know it was sketch to sketch to sketch right but i'm like why not lean into that a little bit more all right if that's if that's the way we need to film this movie because we can't really get you know whatever it's the writing the directing whatever it winds up being we we can't tell the story without doing that what if instead we do like a a spiritual walkabout with the movie all right i'm thinking we still start the movie off we get to establish him his family dynamics his friends you know if we're gonna keep the two hours and 11 minute runtime i think we've got plenty of time to do a a solid 20 to 30 minutes of setup at the beginning him his relationships we can even get his mom dating the guy but at some point, he's going to go and do drugs, right? He's going to get high or maybe he's going to do some. I'm not super, um, you know, well versed in the drug world, so I'm not sure what he would need to take to to get the effects of what I'm suggesting. But we're just going to say he has to take something. But essentially, he goes into some kind of like fever, you know, uh, drug based fever dream and basically he has to relive a lot of what his tattoos mean. So all of these tattoos on his body are different stories. They mean different things. And basically, he gets transported to different worlds that reflect, like, there's the Mars Attacks alien. So maybe he winds up having to live through part of the movie of Mars Attacks. Like, we have to get the rights to that. Or there's the giant shark on his chest, and he winds up doing something very Jaws-related or something like that. Like, or just having to get away from a shark. But basically... He has to live through a bunch of this grief and stuff that he's been kind of like holding on to and basically use these tattoos as a way of trying to grieve. But now he actually has to deal with it and confront it. And all of this, like we can go from vignette to vignette and they stylistically, they can be super different in each one because again, it'll kind of reflect the style of the tattoo that was done. And basically it's him having to deal like he'll have to confront his mom, his dead dad, maybe even Ray. And at a certain point at the end, like he'll have to kind of confront himself um in in kind of where he is in life and if you know the darker side of himself that's just going to be a burnout and then like if he kind of gets his shit together and and moves forward and does something with himself right so um the movie to me we go through all of that stuff he comes out of the fever dream much better off than he was you know obviously he decides to get himself together maybe he goes over and talks to the girl at that point because he's had to like confront her in the tattoo dream world so now he's ready to have that conversation um but to me the the movie ends it you know we do a uh, a hard cut and the movie ends with uh the the vibration of a tattoo needle and we see somebody getting a tattoo 
And the audience is going to assume that this is Scott getting another tattoo, another story that he's telling, right, on his skin and all that. But we're going to do a slow pan out, and we're going to hear people talking about the story and stuff like that. Scott's going to be like, yeah, it's really cool, that's really cool, and all that. And it pans out, and it's Scott doing the tattoo. It's a good-looking tattoo. He's actually pursued his dreams, and he is he's at some kind of tattoo parlor on Staten Island. I'm thinking if we really want to go uh, super cheesy, it'll be like King Tattoos of Staten Island or something like that to bring in the title of the movie. But that's that's how I would want to chop this movie up. It's basically like let's embrace the whole like if it needs to be sketch to sketch because that's he's a stand up comedian and that's how it needs like the structure of the movie movie needs to be. Let's let's lean into that and go really stylistic. Like even when you're talking about SpongeBob, maybe one of the worlds winds up being just super cartoony and you get a like a cartoon Pete Davidson having to deal with with something else from his life. And like, again, it's just it's a way for him to confront things that I think are very interesting to the audience. But it also allows him to lean into that kind of script writing where it is like, listen, it's going to be piece to piece. But at least now narratively, there's a reason why everything is disjunct, you know, is, is kind of, you know, partitioned the way it is is because he's he's basically jumping from tattoo to tattoo i that's that's brilliant i because it it would also serve to minimize how important pete davidson is scene to scene because you know if you're doing something super stylized and artistic the audience will focus on that and you're paying less attention to the fact that yeah pete davidson is just a stand-up comic really um, and in, in your script, your choppy chop, is that the majority of the movie is jumping between the tattoos and you just kind of have it bookended with reality? Yes. Yeah, that would that would yes, be my thought. I love that. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Oh, I love that. Because once again, it 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 would it would serve a purpose for this movie to exist. Because um, my chop shop kind of is in the same vein like this movie needs to really lean into something uh yours is would is very artistically satisfying like um did you ever see cool world with uh brad pitt back in the day i have not okay well audience if you have i think you'll know what i'm talking about it, it was kind of the adult version of who framed roger rabbit oh, wait who framed roger rabbit wasn't the adult version of who framed roger rabbit <laughs> Oh, no. I mean, I'm not... Cool World's not porn by any means, but uh, it was a little more risque. <laughs> so as you know, Brett, I don't watch porn. No, not at all. Mm -mm. Um, so, do you want me to get into my, uh, albeit yeah. uh, not as good, Chop Shop? No, I, I, I'm... I'm optimistic. I want to hear what your chop shop is. Let's, well, let's see Well, you know, it. it's kind of interesting. I think we did almost the same thing. Um... Unlike last think, week where we watched different movies. <laughs> Sorry, I can't let you live that down yet. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling <laughs> it'll come up in the recap as well. Um, but yes, so much more aligned this week. So my Chop Shop, this movie would be pretty much identical up to a point, save one thing. Okay. Pete, Pete Davidson's cast of stoner friends. We're going to replace them. We're going to replace them with... Uh, Seth you know, Rogen, James Frank. You, <laughs> uh, you, you read my mind, buddy. <laughs> oh, so Judd Apatow's typical go-to guys from Freaks and Geeks. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and no, I want Steve Carell in there as well. Okay. Uh, I want the older uh, Indian actor from 40-Year-Old Virgin. Okay. Um, I want... 
it to make no sense in terms of their ages. Like, Pete Davidson's still going to be in there as Scott, but everybody else in his friend group is going to be, yes, uh, the John so uh, Apatow universe. So he's, like, the most young, he's the most recently initiated into the burnout crew, basically. <laughs> he's the youngest of the burnouts. Exactly. So okay. it's going to be the same movie up until the robbery. And during the robbery, um, we're going to have one character take your pick. You know what? Actually, Adam Sandler is going to show up. He's going to be the last man added to the heist. He's He's been off camera the whole time. He's been referenced by character name. He shows up. He seems a he's, little he's the, bit... I got a guy. I got a guy that you never see because someone just he's got a guy. Yeah, he's the expert, quote unquote. The robbery goes south. He gets shot in the head by the, uh, the store owners that are inexplicably mm-hmm. in the store for reasons. Um, Steve Carell gets clipped. It looks like he might die. Um Everybody gets arrested, uh, obviously, except for the person who's dead and the person who was shot, Steve Carell. He's got to go to the hospital, but he's chained to the bed. Mm -hmm. They're all in a holding cell and uh, everybody comes in. Or or the guards come in and they they start calling rollout and uh, they say, uh, you know, Paul Rudd, you're free to go. Rogan, you're free to go. And Pete Davidson's looking around like, okay, okay. And, and as the audience, we're wondering, why are, they, why are they being called by their actor names? Or their real-life names, I should say. <laughs> Everybody gets bailed out except for Pete Davidson. And Pete Davidson's like, whoa, 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 whoa. hey, wait, what's going on? Uh, and they're like, yeah, no, you weren't called Davidson. Sit your ass down. And he's like, what the fuck? Sits back down. Uh, we cut away to the other people, uh, the actors that have been released. It turns out all of this was just research for a role. And they were kind of method acting, and then it actually went south. So the people who were killed are actually dead. So Adam so Sandler. you really dead. kill Adam Sandler in this movie? Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. And basically, Pete Davidson does not get out of prison because he's a nobody. He he's he's way over his head. He should not be leading a movie. He's not important enough. Therefore, he goes to prison because uh, he's the fall guy for getting Adam Sandler murdered. starting to feel a little meta right now, Travis. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, we end with him going into prison, and uh, he's a tattoo artist in prison. Oh, okay, World so he credits. still gets to follow his dream. I like that. Yeah. He still yeah. gets a happy ending. Yeah. And to me, it's because if you don't have anything else to say, Judd Apatow, then go more towards the uh, this is the end mm-hmm. route and just go over the top ridiculous. So I'm glad you actually brought up the, I don't know why I didn't come up earlier, but the, the prison scene. And I don't know if this was lazy and they decided they wanted to try, they thought they were going to make a statement and didn't, by the way, loved it. Uh, your, your chop shop before I, I, I derail from that. Um, no, that, that's fantastic. I, appreciate that. I, appreciate <laughs> I like the meta aspect. If you don't have anything to say, just don't say anything at all. Just go lean heavily into it being stupid and bizarre. That was um, my thought. Yeah. <laughs> So why did Richie disappear? Did you notice I, that? I mean, I thought, I, yes, I thought it was just pure laziness. I, I, I don't know. I don't. So, 
think it was any sort of commentary. It sounds like maybe you think they're. Well, good and that was my question: was like, are, were they trying? Because at the time this movie came out, I'm like, were they trying to make a commentary? Because Richie was the black guy, and the two white guys just wound up in. Oh, we'll be out of here in three to five months. Where's Richie? No one's heard from Richie. Richie didn't get shot or anything like that. So I'm like, were they? Are they trying to like? Is this their way of being very subtle and making a statement about like because Richie was black, he's getting a worse sentence or something like that? But I'm like, to me, and that that never resolves. And I'm like, they never like, and that's my thing is if it was intentional and that's what you wanted to do, then bring that back up so that the audience knows. But instead, it's just like that's no one, no one's heard from Richie. I'm like, why do it then? Why not just be like, oh, yeah, Richie couldn't come at this time or something like that. Like, why make that that comment? What? Well, it goes back to the point. If you told me that Judd Apatow wrote uh, just a very high-level overview of this movie, and then picked twenty writers and said, "Okay, I'll give each of you fifteen minutes in this movie," <laughs> I would believe that that's what happened because maybe somebody wrote that particular scene with a particular commentary in mind. But when you then insert your piece of the the puzzle, and the rest of the puzzle is not the same picture nothing ever builds on itself yeah because yeah i i i didn't even really pay attention to that other than the fact that he was gone and i thought it was just well lazy a adam sandler level editing and attention to detail let's just have a throwaway line about why he's not here because say maybe the actor wasn't available mm -hmm. for a reshoot yeah. Um, I would like to think you're right, but I just don't give this movie that credit. Right, and that's my problem. Is like I just don't know. Like, were they trying to make like a statement? They were like, yeah, we'll throw this out there. But like, again, it's like then do it or don't do it. Shit or get off the pot. Like, if that was the statement you wanted to make, then bring it up later. Don't just do this kind of laziness. Because again, most of the characters you find out where they are later in the movie, like in Pete's life or sorry Scott's life, except for his three stoner friends. At which point. They're apparently just in prison for three to five months or something like we'll find out what happens with them or if he winds up falling back in with them when they get out. But um, yeah, I just wanted to but because I forgot, I just wanted to bring that up. Like I just I thought it was weird that I wasn't sure if they were trying to make a statement by Richie being the one that like disappeared. Well, I mean, the movie desperately needs a statement, so I, I, I <laughs> hope that's what they were going for, but they should have done more of it. Yep. All right, so here we go. Let's get into some market watch. What is this movie, what is this vehicle, this vessel, what is it worth? This is going to be a weird one. Um, so this came out in 2020, midst of the pandemic. So I actually don't have a lot of numbers on this movie. And I, I checked a couple different places. Um, I think US, it only came to streaming services. So I don't know how that's going to reflect market watch in the future in this segment. But... Do you want to guess what the but I at least have the budget. Do you want to guess what the budget of this movie was? Uh, I'll say twenty-two million. All right. I mean, you're off a little bit, but uh, thirty-five, thirty-five million dollars. So. Uh, yeah, I guess I just haven't accounted for inflation in <laughs> budgets. Infl it was yes. It was last year. It was, what, what inflation are you talking about? <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, yeah. in my mind, oh, yeah. movie budgets are stuck in like the early 2000s. Yeah. Because that's what happens when you get old, kids. So the box office is worldwide. I do not have a domestic because I don't think it was released domestically. Um, do you want to guess how much it made in uh, foreign markets, basically? 
I'm probably going to be comically off on this, but I'm going to say $8.2 million. You got the point two. It was $2.2 million. Wee! Okay, all right. So, I mean, obviously understandable. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, I can't say if this was a flop or not. Again, as we move more into kind of streaming services, releasing stuff either directly to their streaming and nowhere else, or they release it in both streaming and theaters. I don't know how like how we're, we'll frame this. We'll have to do that as, you know, we, we move into the future and trying to figure out what we want to do with this. But um, yes, essentially, you know, those those are the numbers that I, I was able to, to pull up. So um, you ready to do some, you want to you get this thing registered? You want to get a tag on it? Absolutely. All right, let's get to our tagline. All right, here we go. For our new listeners, or those who for some reason have forgotten from week to week, we are moving into our tagline segment of the show. What I'm going to do is I'm going to provide Travis with three taglines. One of them is the tagline for the movie. One of them is a tagline for a related movie, what I consider considered related. And one of them is a tagline I created myself. Travis's objective is to pick the tagline for this movie. All right, you ready? Yes, sir. Your first tagline is, I'm fine without you. Your next tagline is, Pete Davidson Brett. is the king of Staten Island. Brett. Yeah. I don't mean to, to ruin the bit, but that's eternal sunshine. Eternal sunshine. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. We'll get into a reasoning behind that. So, yes, you nailed that. All right. So, so uh, Pete Davidson is the king of Staten Island or royally fucked. With the U and fucked, of course, having an asterisk because this would have to be put on a poster. Yeah. Uh, I wish it was royally fucked. I, I guarantee, though, it's Pete Davidson is the king of Staten Island. You are correct because this movie didn't have a fucking tagline. Um... <laughs> wow, that's, uh, that's very appropriate, it feels like. Um, the taglines I was able to basically sum up was Pete Davidson is the king of Staten Island or... From the director that brought you the 40-year-old virgin, Trainwreck, and I'm just like, Jesus Christ, seriously? So, I'll say this. I want Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind. That was not the original movie I wanted to pick a tagline off of. Um, I tried to get one for Garden State. Garden State does not yes. have a tagline. Because I felt like Man. Garden State was a better version of this, where, where this movie was supposed to be going. Garden State was a better version of this movie. And then... You know, where my train of thought went was Eternal Sunshine and uh, The Spotless Mind and Garden State came out at about the same time. And there was always a debate between audiences who watched both, which was the better of the movies, because they were both kind of in that that same tone. Um, but yes, well, I, there, there's no debate. I mean, can you answer that? There's no debate for me. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the King of Staten Island rocks both of those movies. So but uh, Eternal Sunshine of The Spotless Mind is by far my favorite out of those two. Agreed. Yeah. Just making sure that we were on the same page. Yeah. Otherwise, your your visit your visit up here would be canceled. <laughs> um, but yes, no. I originally wanted to get a Garden State tagline, and it uh, apparently that movie doesn't have one either. So I don't know if it's just these these types of movies don't their tone doesn't lead to taglines, or or I'm not sure. But um, yes, so you nailed it with Pete Davidson is the king of Staten Island because that was the best they could come up with. To get people to watch this. 
yeah, uh, I, I guess they can fall back on it was a pandemic, so maybe they couldn't afford a tagline. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, yep, that uh, I think that about sums us. Well, no, I always forget. I don't know why. I guess it's because we do a review, and I feel like most people should know kind of where we lean um, with, with these movies. But I guess. Yeah, but it's an opportunity for closing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's closure. It's something that this movie doesn't really give you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Travis, do you want to. Where where do you fall on this? Is this something you would want to own? Would you recommend it? Is it something as a, if it's on a, a streaming service you're already paying for? It's worth a watch. Where what do you, what do you recommend for our our audience? Well, it's, I'm glad you brought up Garden State because I had that thought watching the movie, and I, I forgot to mention it earlier in the review. I, it's been years since I've seen Garden State, so I don't exactly remember how much character growth uh, was in that movie. It felt like more. I don't know how recently you've seen it. Um, but I also wonder, because I was much more compelled by Garden State than this movie, but I also wonder if that's also just a product of the age in which you see it. I wonder if I were the age that I saw Garden State, which, hell, I would have been 19, maybe? Um, would I have a better appreciation of this movie? I, I, I don't think I would, because I would still see that nothing really happens and the character I'm supposed to care about most didn't do anything. And, and that's probably the best interpretation. You could also read him kind of as just a little bit of a douchebag going back to the whole defending all of his actions with, you know, I'm mentally ill or I have ADD. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd just be curious to know if, if a 19 year old person would have a, a better appreciation because I don't. So maybe if you're younger, check it out. If, if you're not, I, Maybe it's maybe worth a stream to put in the background if you want to see some detached funny scenes. Is is my thought. What about you? Um, yeah, I think you summed it up earlier in the show. Um, it is a a hangout movie to me. It's one of those that if you you know you need something to put on in the background, or I don't know if you, how you feel about this. I know people that if they throw a party, they put a movie on in the background. I think it's the dumbest fucking thing in the world because then people just sit down and watch the movie instead of actually interacting with one another. But I could see somebody doing that with this movie. I don't think it's, there's nothing that you need to sit down and watch. Again, there's very little, it's for me, there's very little character growth or development. So it's not like if you miss something in the movie, at some point you're going to be lost later in the movie. It pretty much stays stays where it, where it's where it's at tonally um there are some great throwaway lines and, and funny stuff like when apparently they have to fight for tips at the restaurant he starts working at i want to know the mechanics of fighting for tips because it just according to the movie it seems like they throw all the tips into a jar everyone gets whole cans and then two people who want the tips the most duke it out which to me would mean i wasn't going to be a waiter at at that restaurant because I never get my tips, but it is funny for the movie, the thought process that they have to fight for their tips at the end. It's a, a gladiator match winner take all. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nothing. I, if you're looking for a movie night or you want to sit down, I don't think it's worth watching. It's just something you, you can't put in the background or like if you need to do, if you like watching movies while you do chores, it's a movie you can do that with. Um, but outside of that, I, I, I didn't get much out of the movie um, worth recommending it for somebody to go watch. And it is very long. It is a, a time commitment. Yeah. I, the the made-up word for me is nothing burger. It's just a nothing burger of a movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So yeah, you got anything else before we go? No, I think that about wraps us up. So uh, thank everybody for listening. And then, uh, you know, if you're interested in hearing our wrap up for the cream, the cream, cream, cream. Uh, I got, <laughs> I got so close to getting through this without any flubs. Um, for the King, the King trilogy, uh, you know, we'll be releasing the uh, that wrap up here shortly after this, and it will be, you know, comprises of three kings, the Lion King. Apparently both versions. Uh, we'll get into that in the wrap up, and then uh, the King of Staten Island. So uh, we hope you uh, you check that out. If not, hopefully we'll see you back for uh, next week's review. You just won't let it go, will you? You son of a bitch. Oh no! We'll hold on to that one for a while. Unlike no. Mufasa holding onto the cliff. <laughs> Troy. Hello, everybody. We are your Cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. And as previously stated, we are... Yeah, yeah, I'm all over the place. I can't talk this week. No, no, no. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know why? Are you not recording right now? That's exactly correct. (laughs) (laughs) Had it it titled, ready to go, just didn't hit that little red button. What I like is that's going to give me the perfect segment for the end of the show.